Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. This is John Green, and I'm your host. Welcome to part two of the third Sunday of Advent in 2020. Like I said, there was so much to say. I just feel like God's just saying, John, are you waking up, Jet? Are you awake? Are you hearing me? Are you willing to listen to me? So I woke up this morning just more excited, I think, than I have been in a long, long time. Excited about Him, about all kinds of things. It's like He opened my eyes and He opened my heart today. I just can't contain at some level what what He's doing and what He's saying today. It's just, like I said, it's the most excited I've been in a long, long time. And I don't know what it is. I have no earthly idea why. I'm still struggling with this foot thing and it hurts. It's painful. I can't do anything. I can't put on a shoe. And it doesn't look good, so I don't go out either. Um much i went out yesterday put a shoe on paid the price for that the rest of the day but i didn't care we had a good time and you know i enjoyed being out um, because i'm tired of not being able to go out but this big toes swollen it's nasty looking it's got a big infection on it and so i don't want to put on sandals and go out because i don't want people to have to be grossed out by looking at my foot but anyway it's just feel like i've been a captive watched a great video that a good friend of mine sent me yesterday from David Jeremiah who talks about you know it's we have to shelter in place and I have to shelter in place right now for a different reason but anyway but we have to we're told to shelter in place and so David Jeremiah did a great four minute video that's posted on the faith seeking understanding um, Facebook page which is facebook.com slash faith and understanding um, and it, which is linked to the right here at the where the podcast is, if you go to the podcast page, which is anchor.fm slash John Green, uh, John Dash Green, actually, sorry, um, you'll see the, the Facebook link over there. Um, but it's, there's, there's a wonderful exhortation in there where he talks about places in the Bible where God's people have been sheltered and he uses i don't know maybe a dozen or more examples of god sheltering people which which he which he's using to say putting people where they don't want to be for a season of time and then what happens when when he brings them out of those places and and i feel like there's a part of me that says it's time and, and it can be too soon right i mean i can be too soon i can jump the gun on things because i'm hearing something god's saying and i'm thinking it's a present reality but it might be still down the road but he's asking me to do what i said in that other podcast which is which is to to imagine what it will be like Right? So I don't know. I don't know if he's doing something today or not. I have no idea. I have no evidence of that. But I know that he's, he's telling me, look out there, down that road, and rejoice now. And in doing so, the reason you're rejoicing is you can see it. You can see the reason for rejoicing then. And you can imagine what that time will be like. But I don't want you to wait until then to rejoice. I want you to rejoice now while you're still praying for it while you're still waiting for it i want you to rejoice as though you possessed it as though you were in that moment whatever that moment might look like for you that's what i believe that's what i hear god saying to me he said i don't want you to postpone joy in other words i want you to experience the joy then right now because in Christ, you have that. And 
Lewis, C.S. Lewis, would talk about desires and to, in the same way, and it's one of his great proofs from mere Christianity, is the evidence of that the desire in you and the inability of anything in the world to fulfill it points to God. That there's something beyond the, the possession of whatever that thing is that you're waiting for. There's, what he's saying is that thing that you're longing for points beyond itself to a greater reality. And that's what Psalm 126 is saying. Is it, it, It's saying, <clears throat> when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then were we like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And then they back up and say, the Lord has indeed done great things for us, and we are glad indeed. And then the next is the prayer to restore our fortunes. First verse said, when the Lord restored. So what it is is the longing isn't satisfied really by the thing. The longing is satisfied by the Lord who does the thing. And so Advent is a time when, when we have a longing for the coming again, but we're celebrating today in joy as though he had done that thing already, and he has. He did it in the incarnation. Because the incarnation is the thing that tells us that the coming again is certain. So that he did it in the incarnation, that he came to earth in the incarnation, is the assurance that he will come again in the end and restore all things. And so in this time, what we're called to is a longing for the coming again, but we celebrate the coming again by celebrating the incarnation. Because it's the pledge of the promise. That he came is the beginning of the pledge. That he died, that he was resurrected, and that he ascended are other parts of the pledge, but they're separate. And so the incarnation, the coming into the world is the thing we celebrate, but it's not the fulfillment. The fulfillment is the coming again, but because he's done this, we celebrate that as already occurring in that same way. So that's what I'm trying to get at in this, and it's what I'm trying to say, maybe I'm experiencing in my own life today. Because I started experiencing it before I had my coffee, so I know it's not the coffee. So, but there's there's something in this, in this third Sunday of Advent that's really important for us, because we're called to joy in the midst of a life right now that there's very little to celebrate. You know, I'm not talking to people about births every day. I'm not talking to people about weddings every day. I'm not talking about the preparation for any of those things which is so unusual in the work that I do with uh, Amazon. So much of what we do and so much of what we sell is, is 
things that preparation for times of rejoicing in people's lives, the celebration of birthdays, the celebration of births, the celebration of weddings, all those kinds of things. And there's been so little of that this year. It's been unbelievable. What we've been mostly struggling with is, John, I can't get masks. I can't get toilet paper. I can't get gloves. I can't get... Um, Exercise equipment, which was for a long, true still partially, but for a long period of time, you couldn't get it. I can't get um, desks for my kids because there's no sellers except for Chinese sellers who never ship them. I can't get these things, but none of those things, they're all different from the normal things. Normally, I'm talking to people about things they need for their wedding, things they need for birthdays, things they need for, for new children, wedding registries and, and um, children's re baby registries and all that kind of stuff are, are usually the things you spend a lot of time talking about, but not this year. That's not what I talk about. Not what I talk about at all. It's preparation for the worst. If we have another blah, than that. That's the way we've lived this entire year. This is going to get bad. In fact, it, there, there's going to be a second round of it here. And then there's going to be a third round of it. And we're continuing to postpone life. Do you hear that, right? I mean, you, you hear that every single day. Well, what, what the third Sunday of Advent is saying to us today is stop postponing joy. Stop it. Do it now. Begin today. Don't wait another day. Don't let the rest of that stuff keep you from the joy that the Lord wants you to have today. Don't allow it anymore. Say no to that. Um, do not allow that to happen. And, and I just, I guess I'm realizing that, that it, I felt like I've lived in that world, not just in my own life, but with our customers, the people that I deal with on a daily basis, that, that they've had to postpone all kinds of events in their lives. People, grandparents, can't go see their grandchildren for Thanksgiving or Christmas or their birthdays or anything like that, and so they're sending presents. But it's like, I don't even know what they want because who knows what anybody wants right now. And so you've got this, this constant thing that I experience, and I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot more people, well, many times more people, in the course of a week now than I did when I was pastoring churches. And I consider this to be a blessing, that I get the opportunity to do that, to get to hear from so many people, most of whom are probably not Christians. But then it's different when I do talk to Christians, to be perfectly honest with you about it. And that's the part that excites me, is when people identify themselves as Christians, when I can identify that they are through whatever means, we have great conversations. And it doesn't sound like my other conversations. If you're that kind of Christian who can be easily identified as one through your order history, for instance, or whatever, then, then you tend to be a different person, and I tend to have a different conversation with you. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But the problem is, is that because of this, we're prevented from having many of those conversations. We're prevented from seeing the joy on one another's faces because we have to veil our faces. It's awful. It's absolutely awful, but don't let it happen any longer. Let's let the church stop complaining about things and let's become those who rejoice always in Him. And rejoice, rejoicing in Him entails rejoicing also in one another. It's part of that whole first and great commandment and the second like unto it thing, right? Loving one another is rejoicing in one another and, and we've got to get to be really good at that. 
because you know what? We need it. I need to rejoice in you. And you know what? You need me to rejoice in you too. I know that's true. I've got a good friend who sent me a message last night, just thankful for our friendship. You know, who does that? Who does that? But it's, it's great, and, and we need that. And maybe that was part of the awakening for me, was just knowing that that was legitimate and real, that she loves me and my wife. It, it, we've got to get good at rejoicing. The better we are at rejoicing, the better the world will see us. They might see us as fools. Why are they rejoicing in the midst of all this? But it's winsome. When it's real, it's winsome. They might think you're a fool first, but they want it. They'll want what you have because they don't want to be miserable. Nobody wants to be miserable. And so that's why Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-24. Give thanks in all circumstances. The man knew what he was talking about. Go back and read 2 Corinthians. And read 2 Corinthians 11 where he details all the times he was beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, all that, and then spends several years of his life in prison. And while he's in prison, he writes the prison epistles. The word rejoice appears in there. Rejoice or joy appears in the prison epistles more than any others. So he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Whatever your circumstances are, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. And then he prays, Now may the Lord God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He said, Go ahead. Believe it. Book it. He's faithful. He will surely do it. And the proof of that is, is the incarnation, the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. You don't need any more proof than that. He's faithful. There's your proof. In the gospel, we get this, and I want to spend a little bit of time with this very first part of this. We, there, there's a man, this is from John 1, 6 to 8, and then verses 19 to 28. We're going to look at the first 18 verses of John about three times in the next six weeks. I couldn't be happier. I love the introduction to John's gospel. I absolutely love it. I could stay there forever almost and, and still just marvel at what he's saying and you can just worship through that. So here we got this one starts was there was a man sent from God and his name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And it's a powerful thing to hear him, John, say it that way, that he came to bear witness about the light, that he wasn't the light, but somebody, but, but there was one who was coming was to be the light. And then Jesus is the light of the world. He says that he is the light of the world. And, and light is this incredibly important concept throughout all of Scripture. You know, what was the first created thing let there be light god says and so this light comes into the world and then john's gospel john's thinking back to creation that that jesus was there at creation and th all things were created through him and for him 
And so the light comes in, and, and a world lit only by darkness becomes something in, entirely different. And you can imagine that, seeing it from you know, the, the view of heaven, that God created the heavens and the earth, and then the, it was formless and void. And then God said, let there be light. Think about that. From the perspective of heaven, there's this darkness down there and, and water hovering over the face of the deep. And you've, so you've got this primordial nothingness, nothing at all. And, and it's, I don't know, is it ominous at that point? I have no earthly idea what it feels like at that point. But think about yourself being in a dark theater and you can see movement on the stage. But you can't see anything about what that movement is, and and you don't know if it's it if it's malign or whether it's beneficent. You have no earthly idea what's going on down there, and you don't even know if anything is ever going to happen. And then suddenly, booming out into that is "Let there be light," and there was light. Changes everything, doesn't it? It's like, you know, you're in a dark room and you hear a noise and, and you're not sure what that noise is. And then you turn the light on and whatever you might, even even tiniest little bit of fear or apprehension or whatever you might have been feeling before that is dispelled when you turn on that light and you don't really see anything. <laughs> There's nothing to be afraid of. There's not some huge hideous monster in the room with you. Light is the reason. So often kids need a light on somewhere in the room it's the reason we have things like night lights i know it's to help us navigate in the dark if we have to get up and go to the bathroom or whatever but the other side of it is there's something comforting about light that complete darkness is not something most people want to experience we need a little bit of light but but light in complete and total darkness dramatically changes everything. If you've ever taken a tour of a cave and go into the innermost room there and they have you put out your flashlights and all that kind of stuff, you can handle it for a minute. And then it begins to bug you. You don't want to sit in a dark room like that for very long. You need light. You need light for life. We need light, in fact, for this COVID thing. That's part of the vitamin D deficiency you don't want to have right now you want to bring light into your life and sometimes you do it through vitamin d which is that which is provided by the sun and it's interesting i talked to somebody a couple of weeks ago that that suggested to me that the the really the vitamin d just getting sun on your face is really not good enough what you really need to do is get it on your torso that's where it gets absorbed best and and actually makes a difference in your life so you need to get more sun than just getting sun you know getting a farmer's tan you need to kind of be naked, not ashamed, as it were. And and the light is this truly important thing. And and if you think about it, then you begin to see why it's so important that Jesus brings a different kind of a light into the world. He brings this light that is also life into the world. He brings the light that everybody needs into the world. <clears throat> And it's just so phenomenally important what he does. And so John goes back to that concept of the light. And, and you know what? There's a pretend light also, right? There's the light that's called Lucifer, the morning star, the angel of light who falls. <clears throat> As we see in Enoch, which is an apocryphal book, 
Well, it's not even apocryphal. <laughs> it, it, but at the same time, the way we get most of our ideas about um, Satan, frankly, but also a lot about archangels and other things comes from the book of Enoch. And, and Jesus kind of um, makes allusion to it when he talks about, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky, because that's, that's a concept that's in the book of Enoch, and you won't find it anywhere else. But Satan was the morning star. He was the angel of light. And so what we have now is what we see is when he offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth, and then in Revelation, when he controls all the earthly powers until he's overthrown, what you see is, is that this world is guided by a false light. It's that angel of light who has fallen from grace, fallen from the throne room. And so we've got to realize that there's a new light that has to come into the world. That, you know, the world doesn't typically realize it's dark. You know, the Middle Ages were called the Middle Ages. We call them the Dark Ages, but they're the Middle Ages. You know, they, they didn't recognize they were in darkness, so much like we do when we look back from a point of view after the Enlightenment. And so we live in a world now that's lit only by darkness, whether we realize it or not. The light, it comes from us. In uh, Hebrew tradition, actually what happens at the... Um, what Mount, at Mount Sinai, when the covenant is given, when, when the people say, we will do and we will listen when God first begins to speak, and they ask Moses to go back and get the rest of it, what they've said is, is that we trust him already, so we'll do whatever he says, but we'll also listen later. So they've committed to doing before they even know what he's going to say, and it goes back to exactly the point that I'm making about today. We're going we're gonna to do, we're going to rejoice now because we trust him, and then we'll listen too, but, but we're committing to joy today based on what he'll, we, we know that he'll do tomorrow. And so here they've committed to that. And so what happens, this is, listen, this is midrash. The, so it's, it's sermonizing on the text, but it's something that they accept as, hey, I believe this, you know, th this is a way of seeing how things happened and how things are. And so what they said was is that at that time angels came down and gave each Israelite there that day two crowns of light. And they were given those crowns because they committed to do before they committed to even hear what he had to say. They trusted him that much. And so what they said was is that after the um, sin of the golden calf, those were taken <laughs> And they were strewn all over the earth. These crowns of light, they say, were strewn all over the earth. And when uh, Jews are um, in the diaspora, when they're scattered all over the earth, then in the works that they do, the mitzvah, the commandments that they keep, and the good deeds they do in the places in which they're scattered, then they're digging up those crowns of light and bringing light into those places. And so Jesus is telling us that we are to be the light. The light is within us. It's not apart from us. It's not unearthed by doing things if the doing of things actually reveals the light that's within us that's that's jesus's point there but but i gave you the hebrew understanding of of the works that they do unearth those crowns of light that they were given then because by doing remember why they were given the crowns then they're they're saying we believe and I do this because I believe. And so those crowns of light are being brought forth in various places around the earth, wherever they're scattered. And then the people are in doing those works are digging those up because they believe and do at the same time. They do what they do because they believe what they believe. So we believe that wherever we go, that that light comes from us in the way that it came from Jesus. 
in the transfiguration. We just have to peel back sin. We have to peel back all that other stuff in order for that light to be revealed. That in doing what we do, we reveal that light of Christ to others and draw others to him. And so what they're saying, in, what John's saying in that gospel is, is that John was not the light. He was a witness about that light. He was telling them about the light that was to come into the world. We, as Christians, reveal that light by what we do and by what we say because Jesus is also coming into the world. Again, he's coming in judgment. And so we are no less witnesses than John. And so this is here's a model for Christian witness right here as to everything. And, and then we'll kind of end with this. And it's just the rest of this, this lesson is from uh, John 1, 19 to 28. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? Who they believed was to come still, because remember Elijah's taken up in the whirlwind, and then in Malachi it's promised that he will return before the Messiah comes. So they're asking a legitimate question here. He said, I'm not. And then they said, are you the prophet? And the prophet refers back to um, Deuteronomy, or to Leviticus, sorry. Leviticus, when Moses promises there will be another prophet like me who comes, and when he does, you're to listen to him. So they're asking him, is that who you are? And he answered, no. John didn't know or care. John wasn't claiming anything for himself. They said, who are you? Because Jesus later says, Elijah has already come, and he's pointing to John. So here they say, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, quoting Isaiah, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. As I told you in that other one, we're to identify with Isaiah exactly the same way when he said this is... Um, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. We're supposed to identify with Isaiah's words. We're supposed to identify with it when Jesus takes it on because we're his people. And his Spirit lives in us. So we're taking on that same responsibility. And so John says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. The Pharisees had a rough beginning to all this because remember when Nicodemus comes two chapters later and talks to Jesus? He's there representing them as well. He doesn't say it this same way, but he's representing them because what he says is, we know you're a prophet come from God. And then he wants to find out more about this prophet come from God. And he calls him a rabbi. He's there representing them. Make no mistake about it. Nicodemus is coming there on behalf of the Pharisees. They want to know something here. Because he's making comments about, we know who you are at some level. We're, we're going to say you are, you're a prophet sent from God and you're a rabbi. It's a high praise, certainly, in both those instances. So these people have been sent to him. And they, after John gives that sort of enigmatic answer, the kind of enigmatic answers Jesus gives to Nicodemus, they ask him again, then why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? And John answered, I baptize with water, but among you, right here, stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, which is an unusual thing because the former is always greater than the lesser. But John says, this one comes after me. I'm talking about somebody, the greater one is to come. He says, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie, which is the most menial thing you could do. If you had sold yourself into slavery to another Jew, if you're a Jew and sold yourself into slavery to another Jew, that was one of the things they couldn't ask you to do. Only a Gentile slave could be asked to do that.
So he says, he says, I'm not worthy to do that. And then we're told these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So our job is the same as John's. Our message is the same as John's, right? I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. I'm telling you about a greater one. I'm telling you about one who is to come, just like John said. And I believe he is standing among us today. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I know he's standing among us. So when we proclaim him, we're proclaiming one who is to come, but who is yet there, present in that moment. Because God can change everything through the power of his Holy Spirit present there. And Jesus is present in the power of the Holy Spirit whenever we're proclaiming him. But let's be like John. Let's know for certain he's here among us today. He's right here. Let's have that same kind of certainty that the Jews, well, that, that the psalmist is talking about, that even in the midst of our captivity, we're celebrating our deliverance. Let's be like Paul, who from prison constantly writes to rejoice, and that whatever situation is, it's what God wills, so he's in charge. It's all good. Let's be like John, proclaiming the coming of Christ as a certainty with joy because we have been redeemed. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice.